Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In the Old Covenant, the people of God were commanded to fast on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, which prefigured our Lord's death on the cross for all the world. On that day, the high priest would make a confession of sin and a sin offering for all of the people of Israel, and it would go into the Holy of Holies, which represented the place of God's presence, and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice upon the Ark of the Covenant, which was God's footstool and throne. The Day of Atonement shall be a holy convocation for you, says the Lord. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Fasting was associated with repentance for sin and with humbling oneself before God, with whom there is forgiveness that he may be feared. By the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, a few more communal fasts had been added to the year centered on dates of national calamities such as the destruction of the temple and exiles so that the people might repent of their sins and return to the Lord. For these things happened according to the prophets because the people had abandoned their covenant with God. It was also common in Jesus's day for individuals to privately fast on Thursday and Monday because these were the days that Moses ascended and descended in Mount Sinai respectively. In the new covenant, the people of God do not have any day of fasting commanded by the Lord like Israel did for the Day of Atonement. Just as in the New Covenant, we do not have any feast days commanded by God. However, even though there are no commanded feasts or days of convocation, it is assumed by the scriptures that as Christians we will gather together for worship, for prayer and for the hearing of God's word. For example, the author to the epistle to the Hebrews writes, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And just as it is assumed that Christians will gather together for worship, so too there is an assumption in the New Testament that we will fast. In our gospel this evening, we hear our Lord's instructions on fasting begin with when you fast. He does not say if you fast, but when you fast. In the same way, he does not say in the Sermon on the Mount where these instructions come from, if you pray, but when you pray. And not if you give to the poor, but when you give to the poor. And so our Lord instructs us on Christian fasting. That is, how should one fast who has, by God's grace, been declared righteous by faith for the sake of Jesus Christ? How should those whom God has justified freely by faith fast? First, our Lord lays out what we should not be doing. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces 
that they may appear to all to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Our Lord Jesus Christ makes reference to the practice of some of the Pharisees, of the hypocrites, those who outwardly put on a show of devotion and piety, but inwardly are full of sin and death. When these fast, they make sure that everyone knows it. They put on a sad countenance. They wrinkle their brow. They frown exaggerated frowns. They make sighs in the marketplace, and they walk around with gloom, with their heads down full of sadness, so that everyone may look at them and know these ones hunger. They are afflicting themselves. They disfigure their faces so that they may appear to men to be fasting. They act this way so that everyone may know simply by looking at them, so that everyone may see them and see their piety, see their devotion and their holiness, so that others may praise them and hold them up as examples, so that mothers may say to their children, you should be like that one there. Look how he fasts so severely on Mondays and Thursdays. They seek only recognition from others. Such fasting is not true fasting, but fasting of hypocrites. They seek recognition, and they receive that recognition. Nothing more will they gain from it. Assuredly, I say to you, says our Lord, they have their reward. That is, they have what they seek, the recognition from others. There is another way of fasting which flows from this, fasting in order to merit from God, in order to earn something from him. Our Lord Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, does not speak against this kind of fasting because, while well, he's already spoken against it in the Old Testament. For God had already spoken to Isaiah regarding this sort of fasting. Why have we fasted, the people say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? The people of Israel complained to God that he had not rewarded their fasting, that he had not responded to it in the way that they thought that he should. That was part of the problem. They fasted to be seen not only by others, but by God. They did not fast to humble themselves, to repent, but used it as a time for indulging in pleasure to exploit their workers, and to stir up strife. You will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high, says the Lord. Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for man to afflict his soul? No, this was not what the Lord desired from fasting. It was not a means to manipulate him or to earn favor from him. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, says the Lord? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you would bring into your house the poor and those who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and that you not hide yourself from your own flesh? What was true then is true now. True fasting should give us the opportunity to help and serve our neighbor. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord does not only tell us how not to fast, but speaks of what is true Christian fasting. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, 
so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father, who is in the secret place, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. The fast of a Christian is not meant to be seen by others. It is meant for yourself. You will know, and you will receive the benefits from it within. For God sees your good works, that is, he sees your works that are done in faith, and he will reward them out of his grace, not because you've earned it, but because he has promised to do so. Our Lord Jesus says the very same things about prayer and giving to the poor in this part of his sermon. This is, of course, not why we fast or why we pray or why we give to the poor. No, we should never do these things because we seek a reward. He tells us this because he wants us to know that God cares for you, and he knows you, even if you are hidden. He sees and knows your heart, your faith. You do not need to try to get his attention, his love and care is already directed towards you. After all, he sent Christ Jesus to take your sins upon himself and to die for you. He will look out for you. And so our Lord has told us not to fast to be seen by others, but to do so privately. But he has not exactly stated why we might fast. Here again, it's assumed that we would know why, just as it assumes that we will. And so why fast? Why purposefully not eat a meal or more? First, it's tied to repentance and humility before God. This reason was seen in our prophecy this evening. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Part of repentance is over sin is contrition. Contrition and faith are those that make up repentance. Contrition is sorrow over sin. Sorrow that we have broken God's law, that we have offended him, hurt others, and hurt ourselves. And what accompanies sorrow but weeping? And what accompanies sorrow but mourning? And thus also fasting. So fasting is a sign of repentance. Just as when Jonah preached to Nineveh, they repented in sackcloth and ashes and with fasting. Not to be seen, but because that which they felt in the heart extended also to the body. We are not only spiritual creatures like the angels, but we are creatures of body and spirit. Just as we do not only show affection for a child or a spouse or a friend only by a word, but also by our actions, a touch on the shoulder, a hug when they are sad, rather than simply knowing in your heart that you love them, and they should know that too. So too, in our spiritual lives, bodily actions, such as fasting, may accompany repentance. Fasting is also a means of controlling the flesh and its desires. We live in a world where we can get whatever we want right away, and this influences us whether we want it to or not. The sinful flesh tries to take advantage of that so that being used to getting what we want instantly, we might likewise, our flesh thinks, gratify its sinful desires as soon as they arise. 
Fasting acts as a way to train the body and soul. When we refrain from fulfilling the good desires of the body, such as hunger, we train ourselves likewise to resist the sinful desires. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. This is what the Augsburg Confession, one of the primary confessions that we believe teaches the true teachings of Scripture, and to which I have subscribed to and made a promise to you to teach according to, and to which this congregation as a body subscribes, sees as the primary purpose of fasting. It says, Our teachers teach that every Christian ought to train and subdue himself with bodily restraints or bodily exercises and labors, that neither satiety, that is, the opposite of hunger, nor slothfulness may tempt him to sin, not so that we may merit grace or make satisfaction for sins by such exercises, and such external discipline ought to be urged at all times, not only on a few set days. So Christ commands in Luke 21, 34, take heed of yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, with consumption. Also, Matthew 17, 21, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and keep it into subjection. Here he clearly shows, the confessions continue, that he was keeping his body under, not to merit forgiveness of sins by that discipline, but to have his body subjection, under subjection and fitted for spiritual things, and for the discharge of duty according to his calling. Therefore we do not condemn fasting in itself, but the, but the traditions which prescribe certain days, certain meats, with peril of conscience, as though such things were a necessary service. That is, we don't condemn fasting in and of itself, but of the mandating of fasting on certain days, and declaring that it is sin if one does not do so on that day. After all, fasting, like prayer and giving to the poor, should be part of one's lifelong discipline. Finally, Christian fasting is done to recognize our place before God and our reliance upon him. When our Lord had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted by the devil to use his divine power to satisfy his own hunger, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. By fasting, we recognize and appreciate just how much we rely on God for our life, both in its present form and for eternal life. It's easy in a land of abundance, like the one that we have here, like the one that God gave Israel, in which he gave them this warning that they do not think that they have gotten all of this by themselves and forget God. It's too easy for us to think we have got all of this on our own and forget that God has given these things to us. In such a place, it's easy to think we live by bread alone. But true life comes from God. And true food that never perishes and lasts to eternal life is found in the Word of God. For the average person, and this is not including those to whom a physician has said otherwise, missing a meal will not kill us, despite how much we think it will in the time. In fasting, we see we do not rely merely on food 
but on God. Any time gained by this may be used to partake in the food that comes from God's word, using the time that we would eat instead to pray and to read and meditate upon the scriptures. Ultimately, all of this leads us to how our Lord ends our gospel reading this evening. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What ultimately makes something a treasure is that the heart desires it. Gold is really just a shiny rock. But because so many love it and desire it, it is highly valued and treasured. Our Lord warns us against collecting treasures on earth because they won't last. And if we treasure these earthly things, then we will have anchored our heart to things that will pass away. Rather, our Lord calls on us to lift up our hearts by treasuring the heavenly things. And what greater heavenly treasure is there than the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which he bestows upon all those who trust in Christ because of what he has done for us? The righteousness of sins forgiven, even the righteousness of Christ. The promise of life everlasting, salvation, and the resurrection from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead after taking all of our sins upon himself to atone for them in his once-for-all sacrifice of the cross. Since God has done all things to save us, he calls us to seek him, to seek those things above, to entrust all things to his care. If we trust in him alone, our hearts will be anchored firm in heaven, where he has kept for us an incorruptible inheritance. Fasting is just one means, one tool, by which we may reorient ourselves towards God and away from earthly things. For by it we restrain ourselves from earthly things to partake in heavenly ones. Let us pray earnestly, brothers and sisters, that God would keep us steadfast in him and in the true faith so that by his grace we may treasure him above all things and give thanks to him who through his son jesus christ our lord and savior for whose sake our sins are forgiven and who has sent to us the holy spirit to fill us and rule our hearts and minds let us pray that he keeps us from now until death that we may partake in the blessed feast of the lamb in his kingdom which will have no end Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen. <laughs>